Good afternoon, everybody. We're glad you're here. So we're going to start with a pop quiz. How are you lifting others as you rise yourself? At Black Women on Boards, that's the most important question we ask of ourselves and of everyone we interact with. And our hope is that by being here today is that you'll share our view, that it is one of the most essential questions. And here's the thing, there are no wrong answers, so everybody wins. My name is Jared Morris. I am the Chief Marketing Officer of Black Women on Boards, and it's my honor and joy to work with this incredible nonprofit organization. And on behalf of the 200 global members that we have, amazing top talent that you're about to hear from, we are so glad to be sharing this space with you here today. If you'd like to learn more about anything that you're hearing, we invite you to visit our digital headquarters. That's at bwob.io if you want to bookmark that right now and check it out. Uh, and also across all your social media channels, uh, particularly LinkedIn, we're very active there. What we don't have, however, at the moment, it occurs to me, is we're not on TikTok. Uh, so if you or perhaps a 13-year-old you know would like to help us with that, uh, please uh, see me after the show. A um, couple other just quick items. Uh, what we find at these events often is right after it ends, there's uh, hundreds of like inbound interest requests that we get on the website for people to meet with one of our co-founders, and we don't like to keep people waiting. Uh, so if you want to connect uh, with Merlene in particular, who you'd like to hear, you'll hear from in a moment. Um, I volunteered uh, to, to be the person to help um, connect with you first. Uh, and so see me if you'd like, and um, we'll get back to you much faster that way. Um, and lastly, and bestly, some good news, exciting news. We have a very special friend uh, and luminary as our moderator of the session, uh, and that is Ruth Umo, joining us from Fortune, uh, where she, as you may well know, leads uh, an incredible team of uh, award-winning journalists as they produce the executive leadership and management coverage. If you don't know uh, a lot about Ruth quite yet, her extensive tours of duty as a veteran business journalist includes time at Forbes and CNBC and New York Daily News. And the University of Maryland and Columbia University count her among their most distinguished graduates, as we are proud to, to have her with us here today. So let's make some noise uh, for Ruth Umo. Come on out. Wow. It is truly so inspiring to see the growth of Black Women on Boards, the organization, and also the rapid ascension of Black women into certainly C-suite positions, but also executives on boards, Fortune 500 and beyond. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ruth Umo, Fortune's leadership editor, and I'm so delighted to be joined by an esteemed trio of corporate heavy hitters who also happen to be black women serving on boards and who will soon be imparting their wealth of knowledge about all things board related. Joining me on the stage this afternoon is Gina Lofton, former chief tech officer at Microsoft US. Gina, please join us on stage. Shannon Nash will also be joining us. She is the CFO of Wing, Google's drone delivery company. Shannon, please come out here and join us. And last but certainly not least, Merlene Saintel, a tech veteran and co-founder of Black Women on Boards. Merlene, please come out and join us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm facilitating today's conversation. Uh, we have much to discuss and a limited amount of time to do it in. Before we jump into the conversation at hand, uh, a quick bit of housekeeping. We will save room at the end of this talk for audience questions, so do keep that in mind as we progress. 
Before we get into the meat of things, I want to take a quick audience poll. Raise your hand if you are currently serving on a board. Raise your hand. Currently serving on a board. Okay. Now, raise your hand if you are looking to join your first board or serve on additional boards, but really joining your first board. Raise your hand. Okay, so it seems as though there's a 50-50 split between people who are already serving on boards um, and those who are looking to enter into board service, and that will certainly inform uh, our conversation for today. Really, the point of today's conversation is to demystify the jobs and pathways into board service for women more broadly, but specifically for black women who face their own uh, barriers to entry. So let's jump right into conversation. Merlene, I'm going to kick things off with you, and I want to begin by level setting. At the most fundamental level, what is a board? What purpose does it serve? Yes, we can. So, uh, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm so great to see this room of everyone. Um, so, board, and bear with me if you already know what a board uh, is, but we hire fire CEOs, we help start strategy, we really help with succession planning. Think about really how we can help. If you ask that question, you'll be a great board member. Um, and I think what we hope to do um, in the next hour is we need to mystify Absolutely. Board members, to your point, really serve as a proxy for shareholders, and we'll be touching on that in further detail in a little bit. We're focused on black women on board. What is the current landscape for black women? Where have we made progress? Where are we regressing, if at all? Where have we remained stagnant, if at all? What does that holistic landscape look like? So I have, I have to say there has been some good news, <laughs> all right? And if you were able to see our Wall Street Journal, uh, that just came out, I think it was like the day before our New Year's Shock Exchange bell ringing. Uh, happy to report that in the past 12 months, we've had 12% growth from new directors on public boards. In 2008, it was 2%. Mm -hmm. so, Amazing. Yeah. I also will say we are not satisfied, right? Because it's not meeting what the of representation for black women. Yeah. So great progress in the last uh, year, but really not really where we should be. Great progress, but limited progress and, and much more to overcome. I want to hear a little bit about each of you anecdotally. So when it was first announced that we'd be hosting this panel at South by Southwest, my LinkedIn inbox was inundated with messages uh, of people asking me to subsequently ask you all uh, to discuss <laughs> how you got your first board appointment. I obviously aim to please. So I'm going to ask you exactly that. Can each of you walk us through your first foray into boards? How did you secure that first board appointment? Gina, perhaps you can kick things off. Uh, there okay. we go. So I'm going to start at the beginning where my board journey, before I started doing public and private boards, I started with nonprofit and advisory boards. So it was a great, um, I use it as a great recommendation to people to say, how do you learn about governance before you jump into your public and private board experience? And I just started with something that was important to me, mission critical boards like Rise Against Hunger and um, you know, the museum and STEM education advisory. 
but getting to my first public and private boards, I was in my last year of um, my career. I, was, I retired from Microsoft in 2021, and I thought, what am I gonna do next? And so, as a part of my career, I had advised C-suite leaders for their board uh, appointments or their presentations to their boards. And so I understood what happened in boards. I understood what was important in the conversations around that table. And so I started my, I, my board journey started with a, a private equity back board in a technology that I had, was very familiar with in research. But my first public board was as a result of a woman that's on the panel with me. Uh, they uh, had reached out to her for a board opportunity, and, and she says, well, I know an amazing woman with a profile just like mine. Let me introduce you to her. And so it's important that we expand our networks and certainly make people aware. And what's interesting about that, I had the credentials. I had all done all the work, CTO at two of the biggest tech companies on the planet, but nobody knew who I was or people who were searching for board members didn't know who I was. Now they do. Uh, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> thanks in part to Marlene who helped um, share her networks with me. Yeah, Shannon, please. Um, so I think you guys are gonna hear a common theme throughout this entire panel. Networking is so important. Um, kind of like um, you were talking about, so I spent the first half of my career actually practicing as an attorney. I was not in finance. Um, I made a pivot to go back into finance because I was actually a CPA before I went to law school. And a mentor of mine at that time really pushed me to actually get more exposure to a board, to a corporate public company board. So in my day job, I was getting exposure, which was really, I didn't at the time maybe appreciate why I was getting that exposure, but I absolutely, it was invaluable for me to be, um, I think, ready and qualified, to your point, to, to be on a board. But kind of like everything else, um, I would say the journey was very long, but not long in the sense of this. I started going to all kinds of prepare for a board workshop, come to this meeting and meet this person. I started probably doing that, moved to the Bay Area in 2014, I started doing that right away. Um, and was not getting a lot of movement. I, I had joined the nonprofit board, that was great, it, it fed my soul, but I wasn't getting a lot of movement in terms of getting on a public company board. So two things happened. I went, I kept networking in all these groups. I went to hear um, Merlene speak, many years ago at an event like this. And afterwards, you know, everybody runs up to the stage to meet people. And I ran up to the stage to meet her and she actually decided you wanted to be a supporter and you were a supporter for a lot of people. And I'm a stranger to her. So she brought me in her network. From there, I continued to go to all the things and all the classes and all the blah, blah, blahs. And then She'll tell you probably, probably um, Merlene and Robin decided to invite 18 women to a phone call on Zoom during COVID, right after George Floyd. I was one of the 18. They then actually looked at all of us on that call and said, we're going to get you on a board. And that was the first time I feel like somebody had like really like saw me, pointed at me and said, I'm going to do this for you. Um, and, you and it happened. So for me, what happened in particular was... Um, 
somebody knew somebody knew that this tech company called User Testing was looking for a board member. They were trying to go public. I was a CFO of a SaaS company. They were a SaaS company. They connected us. Um, it was actually through Diligent, this company called Diligent. Well, when my resume or my board bio went through um, the database, and mind you, I've gone to all these classes, so I have board bios. I have all the stuff. When it went through the database, the person who was receiving it was like, I know Shannon from this organization. See what I'm saying? Networking seven years ago. She then calls somebody, who then calls somebody, who calls Merlene. Wow. Do you know Shannon? Should we talk to her? It's all about the networking. Like Gina, I, was, I had been qualified to do all of this, but it was all these backdoor things that then let me be on the list of like three people that they wanted to, to interview. So, you know, some people get, everybody's board journey is different. Some people get there quick, quicker than others. What I will say is I haven't met very many people who didn't get there because they were grinding on their networking. My board journey um, started, so I was an executive at Intuit at the time, and I decided, you know, one of the ways that you can actually grow as a leader is to be on a board. And just as part of my professional development, I decided um, I was reporting to the CTO, uh, running about half of the operations for Intuit at the time, and from a biz ops perspective. And I declared as part of that professional development that I wanted to get on my first public board. And my boss was like, okay, let's go do it. So um, I happened to tell everyone and I articulated for that person my background in tech, cybersecurity, and of course, just sort of this former software engineer, et cetera. And the person, I happened to be on a nonprofit board, and um, that person was at a conference with the Nom and Gov chair. And Nom and Gov, just to give you the lingo, just stands for Nominations and Governance. Um, that's the committee within a board that finds new directors, and she says, hey, do you know someone in tech, cyber, and in California? The connection was made, and the rest is history. So I got on my first public board um, in 2017. Uh, I was still working, and it just means I'm an operator, um, and that's what it's called. Um, and since then, I've um, done about six IPOs, and my day job is uh, serving on boards um, and doing a whole bunch of things, including executive director. The, uh, film um, amongst that. So, and so, Marlene, you serve on how many boards? Five. Yes, today. And you serve on five boards, Gita. Six. Six boards. So that's Ooh, eleven. But they're not public, right? They're not public. <laughs> okay, I'm still working. My coworker is here. So, and she's our general counsel. So she has to approve my boards. Yes. So I'm on three boards, and that, and it is a lot. That's a lot of boards uh, representation on one stage. Do you have something to say, Merlene, before I jump to the next question? There are obviously certain core governance skills that all directors have to have, but what's phenomenal about this panel is that each of you have very distinct professional profiles and backgrounds and subsequently areas of expertise. So let's dig into that. What skill sets do each of you bring to your respective boards? So I would say, um, you know, as I shared uh, with uh, people who interview with me for boards, they see the first thing, they see the title, right? They see chief technology officer. So they lead with your technical and you were technical enough or an executive senior leadership to, um, they understand that piece of bringing digital transformation and the understanding the application of technology for the success of their strategy. But that's not all 
of who I am as a leader, right? And so um, as I began my board journey, I needed to really articulate to them, not only am I a chief technology officer, I was a $2 billion P&L leader, I was a consulting leader, I was a sales leader, I was an emerging technologies leader, I'm a mergers and acquisition strategist. And so one of the things that's important as you begin to put together your board bio, don't think about your title, think about the sets of experiences that are gonna be very important in conversations in that boardroom. Think about how you've scaled and grown your business or others. Think about how you've expanded globally, created new products, new services, new revenue streams, created great cultures. I happen to have done that all in my career at IBM and Microsoft. And so that was the articulation. Don't you know, separate yourself from the title and even the company and really lean into the experiences that are gonna be critical in the conversations in the boardroom. And I also, one of the key things is previous experience in talking to boards. So as I'm selling really multi hundreds of millions and billion dollar transformations across multiple industries, I know what boards ask for before they approve those kinds of, of transformations or investments. Um, and so leaning into, I know what the conversations are, I know how to drive them, I know how how to execute on a board directive. And so those are some of the experiences in addition to having a great C-suite title at a big company. Yes. Let me follow up with that. Is there something, yeah, is there something you wanted to add, Shannon? Um, Marlene and I talk about this a lot. One of the best ways for you to know um, how to sell your superpower and what it is, ask five friends. Yeah. Ask them what they think you do. Um, because you might be surprised, and that may just mean there's a misalignment between how you've branded yourself out there and how you want to be seen for purposes of being qualified for uh, a board, board roles, if you will. It's not enough to just, um, and Angela, I'm looking at you, uh, it's not enough to say, well, I am a lawyer. Nobody on the board actually really cares about that because they hire lawyers. Mm -hmm. It's like, what can you do for this board? Probably when you meet me in a board setting, you probably figure out I'm a lawyer is like the last so thing I tell you. How are you selling you. yourself? Um, I sell myself as a qualified financial expert who actually scales global companies companies yeah. who has been an expat and, and had a, a P&L and go to market like remit for me. And then like you find out many times later I'm an attorney, which has nothing to do with what they're looking for. And if you, and if you do it right, by the way, you're helping a corporation think about both the short, which is what do they have to get done today and see around the corners for five, 10 years out. So Board members will outlast CEOs. Hmm. The average tenure of a, a CEO, I believe, um, Jocelyn, what, five-ish years yeah. or something? And board members are much longer than that. So if you start having a conversation around, I'm tech, I'm only this, I'm only that, that's not sufficient to be actually adequate and be a great board member. Okay. So you have to go beyond being a one-issue director, in my opinion. Yeah. As we already noted, uh, all of you obviously sit on a bevy of boards. Uh, getting on that first board is no easy feat, but I don't want to presumptuous here. I would assume that once you get that for, uh, first board, it becomes easier to get asked to sit on additional boards. 
I do wonder though, what questions do you ask before accepting a board role now? Because I'm thinking about myself in some companies that are going through turmoil. If Elon Musk called me today and said sit on Twitter's board, I would be a hell no. So how do you determine alignment, whether it's skill set, company mission, values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So my favorite question to ask when I am, um, when someone reaches out to me for a board opportunity is what, given my background, because they've done the research, by the way, by the time you get the call, there's forensics stuff done about you uh, to make sure um, this is of interest. It, the question is, what, given my background, how do you see I can be helpful to this organization? Just ask that question and sit and watch mm -hmm. what the answer is. Because that tells you that they've been thoughtful as how your skills can translate and help that company grow. If it's because they need to check a box, run the other way, because yeah. it's not a good place to be, because you're not going to be, for me anyway, it's, it's not a good use of your time, right? And so just by asking that question, you get a sense without offending anyone. Um, what do you see? What's my value? By the way, it's also important that you understand what, the, what your value is, too, because you're just trying to validate it, but you should also be able to say, I come and do, just like these ladies, when they talked about their skill set, I mean, impressive, right? She has like five, six, seven jobs. And so does, I mean, we all do. We all are like living this, not just one dimensional sort of background. So knowing that and being able to articulate it will make you successful. Yeah, you know what I say to people, like what, ultimately, just like when you're looking for a, a job, an operator role, what actually makes you happy? If you're going to be on a board, I mean, everything's not great, but it should be something you, you care about, that you're passionate about. And so I called Merlene, she's on my personal board of directors, and said, I thought about it, and I was already on a board. I want to be on a, like a hospitality board. And you were like, well, why? And I was like, let me articulate all these things about me. Like, I used to own like a, like a spot in Atlanta. And she was like, why? I was like, I don't know. But I really want to do this. And so doing my research... I started going to the restaurants that the board that I was looking at, I started just going to the restaurants as ordinary person with my baseball cap on, mm. sitting there trying to see how they treated people, how was the food, how was the service, what did, what did the employees think about the business? I did, you do your own due diligence, mm. you have to, to decide, do you want to spend time in the trenches with these people? Because every single board, like you and I talked about the other day, is going to have a crisis. Mm -hmm. Like this weekend. Like, right. Yeah. Think about what happened from Thursday to today. Think about that board. Yeah. Is there a certain uh, bank you're referencing? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and I would add, there's some, you know, homework that I do, right? So, you know, you, who knows what a 10K and a 10Q and an 8K is. Companies, you know, have to report their progress, their status, their strategy. Do your homework. Right. Public companies. Public companies, right? So if it's a public company, there's a lot of information you can glean about them even before you have a conversation. So you can set yourself up to ask really probing questions. And, you know, as Ruth was saying, she doesn't want to be a part of something that's, uh, you know, dumpster fire. 
sometimes you want to be a part of a transformation, right? So when you're reading about what, what journey the company's on, for me, I'd love to be a part of a company who needs someone to help it scale and grow, who may have lost its footing in terms of its competitive positioning. So I read about that because I do that work best, right? helping you scale and grow, helping four become number one. I'm excited about that journey. And so I read into that so I can understand where am I going to be able to put my best skills around that boardroom and working with that leadership team. Before we delve deeper into your respective backgrounds, I'm going to pivot back to you, Merlene. As I said already, you're the co-founder of Black Women on Boards. What is your mission? What was the catalyst for its launch? So... If you had told me that this organization would become what it's become, I would have told you it wasn't, that wasn't the first, that's not what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be helpful. Yeah. Okay. So meaning summer 2020, Robin, um, who's my co-founder, she's on the board of Alphabet. Uh, she's the lead director for Salesforce. Um, on Honeywell, and we were just catching up. And towards the end of that, um, I call it champagne problems, which is we were at capacity. Uh, we couldn't get on any more boards. Um, and so, but we kept getting calls, and we know amazing people um, who just aren't getting the calls. Just amazing black women. And what you need to know about boards is, and I told Gina this, I said, you just got to get there first and then watch out. And she's seen it happen. It's just, you just get a database, you join a club, and then it just keeps happening. And so the organization, we said, you know, let's get five of my friends, five of her friends, and let's just do a happy hour and just talk about board flow. Just like in the venture space, you have deal flow. We said, let's do that. And so Sapphire Ventures, which I'm pleased, by the way, to have um, them represented here um, with my very dear friend, Elizabeth Patterson. I've known her for eight, seven, eight years now, um, I said, I'll get you guys. We'll send Brown Estate Wine, which is one of the premier black-owned wineries in Napa. Uh, ship it, because it's pandemic, over Zoom. And then we'll talk board opportunities. And then 18 became 55. When you saw us ring the bell, we were, we were at 150, and now we're over 200 um, with people with full-time jobs. So this is my side gig. Um, (laughs) And so I I would say it's become a movement. We didn't intend it uh, to be, but we've had great partners like him for her. The CEO is here, Jocelyn, who has locked arms with us. But our our goal is to maximize your yield. Mm -hmm. So if you join Black Women on Boards, I am not trying to keep you to myself. If you do not want to share these women, because the whole point is You'll get on a board by increasing your yield. People need to know who you are. So black women often lack network access, sponsorship, and visibility. And that's what we try to solve. Perfect segue into my follow-up question then. Uh, What are the challenges? We talked about the numbers. You said we're seeing progress. Again, limited, but progress nonetheless. What are the challenges, the obstacles to getting black women on boards? What are members telling you that they struggle with? Well, we often get the pipeline. I think that's the common thing is you can't find anyone, but I'm like, I found 150 without trying, but okay. Um, and they are all over the country and the world, okay? So one of my girlfriends in Hong Kong, a couple in Singapore, a couple in um, Europe, one in Canada saw me speaking on Zoom, and the next thing you know, she's um, part of the network. And so um, it really has been a word of mouth referral um, 
And so I often just say try harder yeah. because I found them. Yeah. And that's and the I, message for companies, not for a black women. The onus is on companies. Well, that's, yeah. it's often said you can't find the women. Right. And I'm like, I have the supply, but I'm just someone who just decided to try to solve a problem. And here's what we've been able to do without really doing a lot of marketing. And for her, same thing. Like, they've been so passionate about supporting um, women and women of color. And so the organizations are out there. So partner with them and just do the work to, to find this. When I started, my, my whole story is I joined a whole bunch of groups in the Bay Area. And one led me to her. But there was like four or five groups. There's Jocelyn's. There's... How women lead. There's a lot of groups out there. There's NACD. Like you have to. You don't know what is gonna hit, but you got to put yourself as in many networks as possible because that's gonna give you more shots on goal. Quite frankly. And I think it's also important for people to think you can't wake up in year 25 of your career and say, "Hey, maybe I want to do a board one day." You want to think about that in year five, so you can take the right roles, you can take the right risks, so you can gain the right experiences. With the right roles, the right risks, the right experiences, you get that visibility, you get that confidence, and you get to build the resume that's going to eventually be the board bio that get you the opportunities. So as, you, as you're thinking about your career now, you know, even year five, you can be thinking about one day I might want to sit on a corporate board. Am I taking the right roles? Am I navigating from my core experience to something that's more broad and enterprise-wide? Okay, mid-career, am I taking the risks? Am I taking a global responsibility? Am I taking something outside of my core expertise? So again, I can show my leadership scale and scope and range. And am I taking that job that I'm just afraid of? And saying there is no failure, that's just, we make it through, and it's just experiences. And then later in your career, you start joining these advisory boards and then you know, end up in these seats um, to be able to do it. But I want you to be thinking about all those things away in addition to the organizations. How do you prepare yourself for the journey? You bring up such a fantastic point, and I want to drill in a bit more. Um, you talk about the fact that you shouldn't wait till year 25. Start early on. What professional, so I want to turn it, you know, make, make it more personalized. What professional experience and qualifications did you all have to cultivate before pursuing board work? I mean, I'm thinking about myself, so I'm 29, not to age myself here, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe 10 years down the line I want to do board work. How do I know where to begin? What skills I need to cultivate now to be set on said path? Well, I'll start. I started my career in research. I thought I was going to be a researcher for my entire career. I did, you know, conversational speech technologies, data and AI, a lot of things. But what I found is the CEO wasn't a researcher, right? The, the vice president of X wasn't a researcher. And I was like, okay. You could be a researcher, you did some good stuff, girl, but where do you wanna be? And I wanted to be a senior executive. And so I had to step out of that technical comfort zone and begin to take business roles. So I took roles in sales, I took roles in consulting. I moved to Europe 
and I took executive, I took uh, international assignments. I came back and I took some more roles that were in emerging technologies, building a business we didn't have before just to get that experience. And so, again, stepping out of my comfort zone, I was an electrical engineer. I was in a tech company. I could have stayed technical. Um, but what I sought is to be a senior executive, and I knew be, to be a senior executive, I need to know how to run a business. And so those are some of the key things. And, and then um, being uh, in mergers and acquisitions. So those are some key things that helped me along the way. Again, everybody's journey is going to be different. But just look into the companies and look into the kinds of roles that the senior leaders of uh, the, with the scope and scale that you want to be, what are those representative skills uh, that they've acquired along the way? I think a lot of it is about, when you think about what a board does, your role is to be strategic. You're not an operator. And so when you think about that, it's what are the experiences in your career that show you know how to operate at a strategic level? So. I have a totally different background than her, but yet we have some of the same things. I, I'm a lawyer CPA. I was not a technical person. And I didn't have a double E background, but I took the expat assignment in Europe. I took the, I took the assignment where I had to deal with the P&L. I did all of those things because I wanted to understand the strategy overall of running the business. So that's what boards ultimately are looking for. You know, not so much the deep, um, expertise in a particular thing. There are some board roles that do require product experience, stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying in general, people who can show that they can operate at a strategic level and had some points on the board where you've had an impact on the strategy of a company, that's what's going to make you really attractive to a board. And then the only other thing I would add, just because I know there are some folks who are like, well, you guys seem like you've done it. You're so far ahead. But if you are 29, one of the things that I would say to you or um, in earlier in your career, mid-career, is we went back to school mm-hmm. to Harvard. So we went to the first Women of Color Conference um, last year in May. Um, and we didn't go to school because we wanted to. <laughs> we went to school because we wanted to go and get the next generation. Okay. Half of them were black, um, 72 women, women of color. And we would go through the curriculum, talk about boards, talk about everything, how to be a great leader, show, do your job, do your day job well yeah. is what you need to focus on if you're mid-career, okay? But what we also did in the after hours, because we had to stay with them, is we'll spend the time telling, they ask us questions. Should I take this thing to par- go to Paris? I'm like, yes. Should you do this? Yes. It's taking risks because it's about becoming a well-rounded executive, not staying niche and deep in your expertise. I have to say, it used to be CFOs and CEOs on boards. It's now widened. But they're still looking for a well-rounded operator who can help them think, and that's how you're more effective as a board member. Absolutely. Before I ask uh, ask my next question, I'm going to quickly provide a story. I interviewed uh, a 
maybe about a year ago, less than Edith Cooper, a former Goldman Sachs executive, and she was relaying the fact that Amazon had tapped her as a board member. And the way she was able to get that board seat is because Roz Brewer, CEO of Walgreens, one of the very few black women uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 company, was leaving Amazon's board. Um, and she said, well, do I have the person to replace me? And so Edith Cooper is a black woman, uh, is now on Amazon's board. And I bring that up because the three of you have harped on the importance of your network. We often hear the adage that your net worth is your network. Social capital, or the lack thereof, can often serve as a hindrance to black women obtaining executive roles, obtaining board roles. How have, you, how have you and how are you still developing your respective networks and also tapping those networks to find board opportunities? Yeah, it's funny you would mention Edith. Uh, oh, shit, I just did a Zoom call because uh, uh, she has this um, thing with her daughter uh, around, it's called Medley, uh, and hopefully she'll come be a speaker for Black Widow Board soon. Um, and she talked about just her journey. She's on the board of Amazon and PepsiCo. Um, I, you know, when you think about the introductions that I will make or have made for these two women, it's really me putting my reputation on the line. Right. And so I will only do that if I feel like I know you and that I can keep doing it over again. Because if I put, put, it's called sponsorship, by the way. That's just the other name. Yeah. And I think black women are over-mentored and under-sponsored. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But I won't keep doing it mm -hmm. if you can't deliver. So I just need, and by the way, I know we're talking about black women, but let me be clear, I've gotten every single person under the rainbow on boards, but it just happens to be because I'm a black woman. I, that was something I could solve by starting this organization. Um, so that's really it. it. It's the introduction that Roz made for Edith, because there's no LinkedIn for boards. If anyone tells you you pay for boards, run the other way, please. Mm -hmm because they really can't get you on a board. But it's about you telling everyone that you're looking for a board, you're already credentialed. Remember, these women didn't need any more credentials, but you needed to know when a seat was opening and someone made the referral for you. Yeah. So that's what makes it so opaque, is because there's, it's like a needle in a haystack. Right. And so the more people you know is how you know about opportunities. Right. And, and so then once you're on a board, that you do join a club and then there's lists, but yeah. until then, it's hard. Yeah. What you said to me the other day, this is like our golf club. It is, it is. Real talk, a lot of people get on boards for sure playing golf. I wish I, I'm trying to learn. My husband's a huge golfer. He meets so many people who just wanna help him because he played golf. It, I mean, it doesn't have to be your jam, but just know that like, that's why these other things exist because we don't have that access. Yeah. Yeah. And, and certainly get out of your comfort zone and talk to people. Like, just don't think about, I'm, I'm just going to go here. Or even, as Merlene was saying, over-mentored, under-sponsored. I know what it's like to be sponsored, right? There's no way I would have had a senior executive career at IBM and Microsoft without being sponsored. Like, I know that. And so I know the difference in how it feels when someone is speaking your name in rooms full of opportunities, right? And they're telling them and they're putting your, their reputation on the line and saying she's ready, right? 
and trust me, she's ready. So it's the same thing, but you have to put yourself out there so they can get to know you, so they can say those things about you, right? If you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not allowing them to get to know you, you're not vulnerable and sharing your hopes and dreams, Every senior executive I ever met at those companies, I was telling them, Gina wants to sit here one day. Can I get there? Okay, not next year, but what are the things that I need to do? So you got to be really open and meeting new people and the kinds of people that can help sponsor you and instead of just, you know, giving you some coaching and mentoring. Networking, to your point, is hugely important. Uh, Merlene, you mentioned the fact, and I wholeheartedly agree, that every woman here uh, is highly credentialed, just based off their lived professional experience alone. I'll play devil's advocate here. I had an interview recently with a Fortune 500 board director who lamented the fact that men often are able to just obtain board seats, say, hey, I'm the chief tech officer at this company, and I like a board seat, and you know, they have their warm introductions, they get board seats, whereas women, and certainly women of color, have to go through formal training. How important is that credentialing, that extra credentialing? Well, I, I know that um, Shannon and I, uh, <laughs> she's credentials all day long. And I think it's good to have credentials, mm -hmm. but I think over-credentialing and not enough networking God. is not sufficient, right? So um, I, I think it's about do it if it makes you feel more confident. Mm. But don't feel like you need to go get a PhD to get on a board. Yeah. I don't have a PhD, I have a master's. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has a lot of degrees. Okay. And, <laughs> and so and it's a good thing. Like, that's my girl. But you don't, you don't need all that, right? So... It's, but it's great. It's make sh so I just think we need to stop chasing the degrees. But do it if you'd like it. Like, but I, I feel there's a certain thing that we keep checking every single box 100% to feel like we're ready. It's not true. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I would say, um, before we get to Ms. Credential. <laughs> no, I'll say, don't get the credential and have the expectation that that alone will get you on the board because that's gonna to lead to disappointment, right? I'm, I sit on non-gov committees. We create profiles on how we're refreshing our boards. We don't say one of the critical profile pieces is that person has a certification. If they do, that's great, but we're looking at other things. And so don't you know, hang your hat on that that says, I'm gonna get all these credentials and oh, wow, you know, this, somebody, that's going to mean to someone that I'm board ready. It's all those other things that we've talked about. And, and I agree with Marlene. If, you, if it makes you feel more confident in the execution of your role, do it. But if you believe you're already confident and you believe you're going to be doing the homework along the way, then you can certainly sit on boards without it. Well worth it. I totally agree. You don't need the credentials, but there's somebody else out here who likes to like read like I do on um, Friday nights by yourself. There's, I got a friend out there I know. Yes. Um, that being said, <laughs> they are totally right. You don't, a lot of the things that I did, I did not have to do. I, I wanted to do them because they actually bring me joy. So you got to figure out what's like your, like I like to like go really deep and stuff, but then confuse people because they're talking over me, they think, and then I'm like, oh yeah, so I read that too. And like, that's just fun for me. Yeah. That being said, um, 
I do think the things that helped me about some of those programs in particular was the network. Yeah. Wasn't so much the class or the credential I got. It was like, now I know Sally, John, and, and Joe, mm -hmm. and they know me, and I would have no other reason to know them, and then you multiply, multiply, multiply. Um, I won't name the organizations, but there are organizations that give you certifications. Um, I think some of the information in those certifications is good, especially if you haven't had enough exposure in your day job to do this yourself. I think it's great. But I'm definitely telling you, Gina is 100% right. All of us have sat on non-gov committees. Um, I've been a lead independent director. She's lead independent director, meaning like we set the stage for who you're going to interview. Not one time have I said, do they have a certification that said they know how to be on boards? Like zero times has that ever happened. Right? Never. Yeah. Let's briefly talk about public versus private boards. Um, I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about board work, they're like, oh, Wednesday, I want to sit on Google's board or Apple's board or whatever the case may be. Board members at public companies sustain a much higher degree, certainly, of liability and scrutiny than those at private companies. That said, I'd love for you to answer what are the main differences, especially in terms of responsibility, scope, oversight, and then what are the benefits of each? So I, well, where do I start? Uh, fiduciary responsibility, you do have that in both. Yeah. So by the way, your fiduciary responsibility is care and duty, loyalty uh, to the shareholders. The, how, let's start with private. Uh, the first board members are investors in companies. Yeah. Every company that goes public ultimately was a private company. Um, and part of it is you'll spend... The big difference is you'll spend 80% mm -hmm. of the time more on building the company or helping the functional expertise and less on governance. The stage, when it goes from Series A to uh, as it's going towards IPO, if that's the liquidity event, um, might change, but just roughly think it's the 80-20 and then it reverses when, you're pub when, when it's public. Um, I love taking companies public. I think it's a great win-win financially, and you get your public too. You've taken, um, what, five, six? Yeah, I've done six. Yeah. Um, but I, I would tell you that also public is amazing, but it is, by the way, uh, there, there are risks, yeah. but there are risks also in private. You get sued yeah. either way, yeah. but you get indemnified. Don't let that scare you. But <laughs> it's super, super important that you understand that um, by the way, you can get sued on a nonprofit board too. That's the other thing you guys don't realize. Um, and you do work, and you don't get paid. But so that's <laughs> we don't focus on that. But you should do it if you like it. Um, and so those are the main differences. <laughs> so for profit. Perfect. Anything to add between the two of you? Well, I, I will uh, say, you know, for me, the difference also for in private versus public is the scale, right? And so typically, if you, I grew up in big companies, and so taking a, a company, uh, IPO was exciting to me because I hadn't done that, right? I, I, I started, a, I was in a company that was already public, it was already big, it was already multi-billion, and so now scaling. So, you know, you have to check your interests and where you believe you want to um, add value. Yeah. Yeah. And I have both, by the way. Yeah. I have a, one that's 60 billion in revenue, yeah. and I have small ones that just went public that are yeah. just trying to grow. So I think it just depends what you like to do. Absolutely. 
Uh, last couple questions here before we open to audience questions, so just have those percolate in. Uh, board work is often glamorized as this cushy, prestigious gig, which arguably it is, uh, with lucrative payouts and a relatively small time commitment. Board work is presumably far more intensive and rigorous than that. So operationally, what does it actually entail? What is your day-to-day, -day, well, you're not meeting every day, maybe quarterly to quarterly look like? <laughs> Okay, should we start with Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Topical. Crisis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thursday, Friday morning, mm -hmm. all of us got board meetings, yeah. unexpected companies. Yeah. Will they make payroll, et cetera? So that's just one example. Right. The pandemic, right. whatever. So it is a job of great responsibility, <laughs> but to glamorize it as if it's this thing that you just talk to someone once a quarter is the biggest misnomer. It really isn't. If you're doing this job right, you're in touch way more frequently and there's a crisis, no one cares that you're on vacation. You're, you're jumping on the call. Yeah. So. I mean, and Shannon, yours is interesting because you're also working full time as a CFO. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, as at, are you. At, all, the, all at the end of you. the day, yeah. you guys, I mean, it's one of those things where, like she's saying, yes, they're quarterly meetings, but they are committee meetings. You have to be on a committee, at least one. Sometimes you have to be on two committees. And if you're lead independent, all the committee stuff comes to you. So it is like it, a quasi, it's like a part-time job because it's not full-time, but then there are some weeks where it's like, okay, I do my day job, and then I leave my day job, and then I do my board job. Then I go to sleep for three or four hours. Then I wake up and do it all over again because depending on what's going on, um, when you get the board deck, we talked about this, board decks that they send to you for a meeting and you got like maybe less than a week to prepare, four or 500 pages of stuff you have to read to that they expect you to come to the meeting and be ready to go. They're not walking you through it. They, they think you know it. You better know it because now you have to actually help them come up with action based off of that deck. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd say the same thing. You know, you have committee meetings, board meetings, and I'd be happy to get four or 500 pages. I have a board meeting next week. They sent me 944 pages. So Ooh. after I leave here, I got to really get into that. But, and then you, you don't want to have a cybersecurity event, and then you're meeting all day, every day until, you know, so you've got to prepare for the fact that, um, as Merlene said, it's of great responsibility. You have committed to this business, to the shareholders, you know, so this is really serious. Typically, these organizations has thousands or tens of thousands of employees. They are counting on you to take this job seriously, and so you have to invest the time to do that. One quick thing I forgot to say. We're just talking about going to the meetings and doing the work. Like everything else, there is a social aspect to all this, meaning the board people want to get to know you. The CEO wants you to go to, can you mentor the CFO and have lunch with them like every like, you know, three months or something like that. So there's a whole bunch of like, just other things, because you have to develop the relationships with the board and management. After ringing the bell uh, on Valentine's Day, I made a pit stop to Denver because the Black at GitLab team wanted to talk to me, and I promised I would go visit them one time for the sales kickoff. And I did a detour. I missed my family the whole week, but it was an honor and privilege to do it. And by the way, they'll, they'll make it to the movie because of it. So. It's work, it's extensive work. Yeah. Great work. And you should be compensated for said work. So let's touch on compensation. 
What should novice board members or those who are aspiring to board positions keep in mind when assessing and negotiating board compensation packages? As you look back, what do you wish you knew? If it's private and you're first, Mm -hmm. negotiate well because you set the tone for everyone else. Mm. She has a story, but I know there's a line. Um, And we'll make it quick. Uh, For public, though, it's roughly, um, and this is plus or minus, 150, 200-ish, depending on the scale of the organization, but just take it around that. By the way, you could Google most of this stuff on a, um, on a proxy. Um, 250 plus or minus, and then on up for the top boards. So for this public. Mm-hmm. What's amazing, though, if you could take a company and it's successful through a liquidity event, mm-hmm. it could be seven or eight figures. Great. Oh. Generational wealth. Something. Generational wealth. Uh, Gina, I'm going to toss it to you. Or did you have something to add, Shannon? Okay. Gina, let me quickly toss it to you. You said you had a story very quickly. Yeah. Well, so one of the private boards uh, that I just joined, uh, right before I joined, they had um, uh, added a very senior former government uh, official to the board. I got very excited when I saw his name because I, you know, and they said, well, hey, what are your compensation requirements? I said, I want you to pay me exactly what you paid him. Yes. Because I, I know exact, you know, I knew that they, he didn't come cheap and they weren't going to get me cheaper. So, um, so just do your homework, you know, pay attention. Who else is sitting on the board and, and just make the assumption they have completely negotiated really well. And, um, and so, again, do your homework. Don't sell yourself cheap. And we all got to work with pay equity issues, right? So, so you, you know, take the forefront on that one. Fantastic place to end this segment of the conversation. Let me throw it uh, over to our audience. Before you ask your question, just say your name and uh, the company you're with. Sorry, I'm a little tall. Okay, there we go. Hi, I'm Precious Azure. I'm also known as the Clarity Coach. I'm in 10 years of entrepreneurship. Um, I help entrepreneurs build the clarity and confidence they need to build their brand and business. So I have a client portfolio. I'm also the co-founder of an amazing black female-led organization here in Austin called Measure. We're going into our six years. I'm the VP. I've developed it from the ground up. And I'm also still supporting other um, companies as a fractional CEO. I do not have the traditional corporate experience. My corporate experience is the one I designed. So my question to you is, what would that path look like? I had no true aspirations on being on a board, but after being here, I need to know what steps I need to take. Well, I'll speak just for the entrepreneurs who are members of Black Women on Boards. Um, They have about 100 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. So part of it is, it, it depends the scale of the organization. It's, you could be helpful to a board, an advisory board, a private board, but I don't want anyone to have any confusion that because you're a CEO of, of a company that you can join the board of Alphabet. And I, so I just want to give you scale, but you can contribute. So absolutely, if you found this like intriguing and you want to be helpful to another um, startup or another company, absolutely you should go do it. I just wanted to make sure that was um, clear. 
That's awesome. Yeah, go ahead, please. My name is Jamal. First, I want to say thank you. I feel very privileged to see a group of accomplished black women talking about this subject. So thank you for the work you do both in the board room as well as, <laughs> as, well as bringing other people along. Um, uh, one thing I've heard consistently from experienced board members is that they got very good at being explicit about asking for board seats or letting people in their network know. I imagine I'm not the only one in the room who feels good at flexing credentials, but not so good at just asking. Can you, as tactically as possible, tell us how do you let people know or how do you ask to be in the room? <laughs> so let, let's practice. Say your name again. Jamal Glenn. Hi, my name is Jamal, and I'm interested in being on a board. <laughs> Try it. Try it. Use the mic so I can hear you, but just try it. See how it feels. My name is Jamal, and I'm quite interested in being on your board. That's right. Do it. And you tell everybody and anybody that's willing to listen to you. You, you go to networking events. You meet Merlene. You get, understand her journey. She tells you, oh, you should talk to... Angela, because you guys have the same background. Maybe she can tell you how she got to where she is, and you guys, you can get in her network, because at some point, she's not going to be able to do all these boards, but you have her background, and she will support you, and on and on and on. And, and I say go to places where you're going to run into CEO and other board members so they can get to know who you are, and after you ask for the seat, be very crystal clear on your value proposition, what you bring to that table that's special and unique, and stay in touch, right? Don't let it be a single touch point. Let it be a consistent touch point. Yeah, that was my ad is someone may not think of something today, mm -hmm. but if, I, if you make it super clear, you have 30 seconds to go up an elevator, yeah. Jamal, M&A, mobile, like just whatever those little tags are for you, that will help someone connect the dot later on for you. That's why I think, again, it's important to find that supporter, kind of like you did for her, because you were able, you knew her background, you were able to give her that this is how you need to sell yourself and package yourself, Gina. You got to, that's why you, you go to these things so you can actually get connected, because there's definitely somebody with your profile sitting on a board right now. Hi, I'm Shakira Hill-Taylor. I'm the Chief Digital Officer at Fenton Communications. I too am interested in being on a board. Um, but my question is, you mentioned at the top of our conversation that we've seen growth with black women on public and private boards. From your perspective, do you believe that the unfortunately growing anti-CRT, anti-DEI policy that are sweeping um, right-led states is gonna impact or cause attrition for um, diverse board recruitment. I'm Jocelyn, can't you go to the mic and repeat what you said in our film? Yes. Do you remember what you said in our film, Jocelyn? Stand up, Jocelyn. Please, Jocelyn is the CEO of, of Him For Her, another organization. Do you remember when we asked you that question about, hey, the law got struck down and all these things, what did you say so they can hear you? Hi, everybody. I'm Jocelyn. I'm the CEO of Him For Her. Um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I will tell you the movement's already started. So it doesn't matter if the laws and the smart business owners want diverse boards. They know it's better on hundreds of lenses, and there's hundreds of studies to prove it. So that's the good news. That's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> 
and make it an innovation conversation. If someone wants to have a conversation with you around, oh, diversity this, because it feels good, I just, I, I stop that and say, do you want to be innovative or not? That's it. Pursue it as a business strategy. <laughs> Hello, I'm Marsha Bork. Um, I am a petroleum geologist. Um, I've had my last, my most recent corporate job ended in 2002. I therefore am not 29 years old. <laughs> and uh, I am in a position to mentor younger women. And I really appreciate what you, sa what you said today about putting them on a path to uh, consider themselves uh, in appropriate roles for, uh, for corporate leadership. That's very important. Um, what additional tools can I provide for them? I think that for me, the ship has sailed, but for them, I want to give them the best possible advice. I mentor a lot of young women in their careers. Yeah. So, you know, um, across our careers, you know, one of the things for me is once I uh, cross one path, I said, at least I know how to get you here. Right, So you have a wealth of experience that you know the different points on the journey that you can help them understand how to build that confidence, how to take risks, how to take different roles, how to navigate in organizations because everybody says, I don't want to play the politics. And you say, well, you won't be in the game, right? So, and you have that experience that you can share that open dialogue with them in a space where they can be comfortable asking questions that you can help them navigate. My experience is not, what I'm finding increasingly is that my particular path and my experience is not relevant to the environment they're in now. Mm -hmm. And having not been in the corporate environment in that way personally uh, for the last, say, 10 years, um, because I've been consulting. I've, I've had a window, but I've not been in it. Um, I'm familiar with the politics, but not necessarily how they're navigating. You know, happily, there are far more women doing what I have done. So I'm sure you guys, if I may interrupt really quickly, because we are run up in time, and I see that they're giving me the eye here. Our panelists will be around uh, after this conversation. Uh, so I know there are a number of other people who were unfortunately not able to ask questions, and I'm, I'm so ecstatic that you all, you know, wanted to have this be an interactive experience. But they will be around, I'm sure, uh, and have, you know, far, far more insight to relate. But thank you so much for your question. Merlene, Shannon, and Gina, the three of you are such barrier breakers. I commend you for the work that you're doing to uplift and elevate the next generation of diverse executive voices on boards. Thank you for such a fruitful conversation and thank you to our audience for joining. This was great.